A review today of First John one verse, uh, First John one through verse ten of chapter three, and actually that sounds like it's going to be a lot, right? That sounds like I'm going to keep you over and the food's going to go stale. Actually, my goal is to finish early, and you should all laugh right now because, yeah, right. What's <laughs> no one's buying it? That is the plan today. We hope to finish a little early, but. I think reviews are important. We did this for a few reasons. We did this because we had communion. We had the potluck. We are smack dab in the middle of 1 John. We are two and a half chapters in, and there are two and a half chapters left to go. And I thought it was just a very timely way to have a review this morning. So reminders are a good thing, aren't they? Anyone set reminders for themselves because they forget things? Yeah, I do. I forget things a lot. Did you ever forget, any, did you ever forget something really important? Yes. Uh, Grace knows one time I forgot something, don't you, Grace? Something really important. But I want to share with you a story this morning of something that I forgot as we seek to have a reminder today about uh, 1 John verses, uh, chapter 1 verses, excuse me, chapter 1 to 310. That's tough to say. Anyways, I want to share a story with you. In Michigan, when I was starting to date Janine, it was uh, around 2008, Janine and I were starting to date. One of the first dates I ever took Janine to was a football game at the University of Michigan Stadium. Anyone like football? Anyone like college football? I was really looking forward to this because I thought this was a slam dunk date, right? And uh, she, she wasn't really into football like I was, but she still liked it enough, and I thought that was going to be a really fun date. And it was, for the most part. When you go to these stadiums in college, you have to find a parking spot, right? They don't really generally have these huge parking lots where you can just pull up your car, park. So what, what you do if you go to one of these games is you actually find like a street or a parking lot or someone's driveway to park into, and they, you'd pay like $10 to do that. So we did. We found one that was going to be like an easy exit. You get in, you pay $10, and you leave afterwards, and it's going to be nice and easy. Well, that was the plan. Janine and I got out and parked. We found a pretty good place. It wasn't too costly, and we parked. We went to the game, had a fantastic time at the game. Really, really enjoyed the game. The date was going swimmingly. Well, we went to a 3.30 game, and it's kind of this time of year. When you go to a 3.30 game, it's nice and bright and sunny, and I'm thinking, oh, we'll find our car, no problem. you know. But the problem is when you got out of the game, it was pitch black, and I didn't remember where we parked. <laughs> I didn't take a picture, I didn't write it down, I didn't even make a mental note of, hey, we're on this street. I was too focused on the date and making it a slam dunk. So we start walking around, I'm like, how hard is it going to be? You know, we'll find the, we'll walk down the right path and we'll eventually just stumble across this car and, well, we walked and walked and walked and walked and walked and the car was nowhere to be found. We tried this driveway and that street and this driveway and that street, and the car was nowhere. And I'm going to be honest, we got a little frustrated at this. We got a little frustrated at each other. In fact, I think it was all directed at me because I was the one planning this date. I was the one that was supposed to have my act together, and I didn't. Guys, I think it took us about an hour. Right? Am I right, Janine? About an hour to find the car, walking and pacing and mumbling under our breath and Things like that. But eventually, I, we found the car. You know why I think we found the car? I think literally every other car was gone by that point. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, we found the car, and it was only 2.30 in the morning. No, it wasn't that late. But uh, I forgot where we parked, and I felt like such a bozo after that, thinking, how could I do that? How could I forget something so simple? But we need reminders, don't we? If you're that type of person, I write reminders for myself all the time because I'm a forgetful person. What we don't want to do with the Word of God 
is forget, right? It's nice and easy to listen to sermons and nod and feel convicted. The problem is, is do we remember them? Do we keep them in our minds? Do we keep them in our hearts? Are we trying to implement the truths that we have heard? So what we're going to do today is simply a review. We're going to go through the seven lessons that we've gone through very quickly. So I need you to do two things with me. I need you to stay with me. We're actually going to read the text that goes along with the sermon, and I'm hoping I timed this. It only took around a half hour, so give or take. Yeah, right. Uh, so we're going to start here in 1 John chapter 1, of course, where you should start. And the first lesson we looked at was called Jesus Changes Everything, verses 1 to 4. I want to read the passage here, and then I want to reflect on a few points that we got from this passage. So follow along with me if you have your Bibles. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The first thing we looked at is that under Jesus changes everything, which he does, is that Jesus has been made manifest, which means clear or obvious, to this world so that we're without excuse. God is saying, God, John is saying here through the word of God is that God is obvious. Jesus, if you want to know, is obvious. His testimony is all over this world. Now, there are parts of the world that have not yet heard the gospel. But God has been made plainly obvious to this world. And Jesus' testimony has existed for around 2,000 years. Isn't that profound? Mm -hmm. That other religious leaders come and they vanish, they get a following and they're gone. Jesus has consisted and existed and gained a following for 2,000 years. The church continues to grow. That is an evidence of Jesus being made manifest, clear or obvious to this world. Here's another instance of that. After Jesus had been rose from the dead... About 500 people saw him alive after he had been in the tomb for three days. Isn't that amazing? 500 people would say, I saw Jesus alive after he had died. Jesus has been made clear or obvious to this world so that we're without excuse. And John is saying that he is a firsthand testimony of Jesus Christ. Next, Jesus came to this earth so that you and I might have true, eternal joy and confidence. He could have come with another thing, he could have come with condemnation and judgment, but he didn't. Jesus came with salvation so that you and I could have joy and confidence forever. So the question I have for you today, are you convinced that Jesus has more to offer you than the world? I had to be convinced of that. I didn't believe that growing up. But once I was convinced of it, it changed me forever. And I've been following Jesus ever since. So have you been convinced? That Jesus offers joy and peace and security and pleasures beyond what the world can offer you. I think most people are following the world because they think the world has the best stuff. They're wrong. Jesus came to offer us true and eternal joy and confidence. Next, I think this is what John is saying too. A third-party Christianity is not good enough. Hearsay, being lumped in with the crowd, growing up with it is not good enough. You and I need a first-hand experience of Christ within our soul. And again, that's something that I fell into the trap of it, thinking, I grew up in it. I must have it. I must be of it. 
but it didn't radically change my life each and every day. But once I met the true Jesus, change happened immediately. All glory to God for that. So is your Christianity just based on being in Christian circles, being within the crowd like you are today? Or do you have a first-hand experience of Christ's salvation within your soul? That's good to test that. Because if, you, if it is, if it's authentic, then praise the Lord for it, like we will today. But if it's not, and you test it and you try it and you find out that you may not have the first-hand experience of Christ, you can get that today. You can start that journey today. And that's the whole point of what John is saying. And lastly, again, when we encounter Jesus by faith, truly, he changes everything. Changes everything in your life, everything in your soul. And we are never the same people again. And I am a first-hand witness that Jesus Christ changes everything. And I hope you are too. We have an encounter with God himself when we trust in Jesus Christ. Think about that. God's power comes upon us. And you change. You can't but change. It has to happen. Because when God comes into your life, when Jesus comes into your soul through the Holy Spirit, it's magnificent. There's nothing else like it. So have you experienced the firsthand salvation and saving grace of Jesus Christ? I have a question at the end of each one of these that I want you to think about and maybe even write down. In fact, I think I put them on there for you. But if you have time today, this moment, please answer that. This question is for you alone before God, not for my sake or to hand in or anything like that. The question based on this lesson is, have we truly experienced the saving work of Jesus upon our lives? And are we experiencing his joy and confidence today? And you know what I don't want you to do? I don't want you to round up and go, I think so. Probably. I want you to know. John wants you to know, have confidence that that is a reality in your life. And you can have that confidence. You don't have to round up. You don't have to assume. You don't have to guess. You can have that joy and that confidence today. And therefore, once you have it, the world can't tempt you. Not greatly. Because you've experienced the joy and the confidence that transcends this world. The next thing we looked at was called Shedding Light in the Darkness. And this is found in verses 5 to 10 of 1 John chapter 1. And I want to read this as well. Listen to what John says. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. So this is what we looked at from shedding light on the darkness. Number one is we must understand that God detests wickedness. He does. He hates it. God is holy. He cannot have any fellowship with sin. And maybe that sounds harsh, that God would be that way. But if you know anything about God, that's how you want God to be. You want him to be higher and greater and more holy than what this world can offer. And he is. But it also means God cannot fellowship with sin. He can't. He's not like us who from time to time we'll just wink at sin and go, ah, whatever. They meant well. No big deal. God can't. He's holy. He's righteous. He's pure. So God must have a stance against sin that is unlike you and I. And he does. Next, it means there is no middle path between light and darkness. It's one or the other. It's like we talked about when we went through this lesson. It's either going north or south. You can't go both. You can't go north and south at the same time. And I think we like to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and go, okay, I'm not 
I'm not truly following Jesus, but I'm not wicked. I'm not worldly either. And God tells us today, it's either light or darkness. It's one or the other. Which is it? And you can know that today. And here's the thing about God. Next, is if we confess our sins and own up to them, which seems obvious if you know God, we can come out of the darkness and into the light this very day. If you're not already in the light, you can come out this day. You don't have to wait. You don't have to clean yourself up. You turn to Jesus Christ and he cleanses you and he brings you into the light by his credit. In fact, that's what we celebrate in communion. And here's another cool thing to know is that God wants us with him. A scary person like God, you, you might not be sure, right? I don't know. Is that someone I want to be nearby? Yes, it is. That's someone you want to be very, very close to. He's good and he's righteous and he's pure and he's loving. And most of all, he's a refuge. But we have to forsake our sins if we want to be with God. We can't say, God, this is who I am. Like it or leave it. Here I am. No. God says, leave your sins, and then you and I can have a relationship. And lastly, from this lesson, practicing obedience to Christ is the light. That's how you and I know that we're following Jesus Christ. And this lesson comes over and over again in 1 John. He wants us to really know that we need the assurance of our salvation. That assurance is obedience to Christ. That is the light. And it's the best possible place for us. God is not stealing our joy when he says, obey me. On the contrary, he's trying to give us joy. He's trying to give us security and peace and confidence. So when we practice obedience to Christ, it proves two things. That we understand sin, we understand how it is against God, and we hate that sin as God does, or like God does. Light is safe and good. Darkness abuses us. Do you know that about darkness? Do you know that about the world? Do you know that about Satan's schemes? He's an abusive father, and we'll come back to that. All he wants to do is steal from you and harm you and ultimately destroy you. Darkness is not good. Darkness is not fun. Darkness is not cool. Light is safe and good and wholesome. And God wants you in that light. So the question based on this lesson is, are we calling sin darkness and repenting of that sin so you and I can live in the light of Christ and practice obedience to him? Are we calling sin what it is today? Not justifying the sin, because that's the devil. The devil wants us to justify our sin so he can keep us in the darkness forever. Sin's not that bad. God doesn't really hate it that much. Your sin is, you know, it's so common. It's no big deal. It is a big deal against a holy God. In fact, the fact that we celebrated communion should prove that to us because if there was any other way for God to save us besides sending his son, he would have done it. Sin is a big deal. God had to crush his own son in order to save us. And he did. And he wants us with him today. But you and I have to be honest with sin. We have to say what it is, and we have to desire to come out of that sin. And when we do, God is there, and he says, Come, child. I will cleanse you and heal you. We're going through quickly through these. That's kind of the whole point. So I hope you're able to keep up with us. Let's look at the next lesson called Obedience is Life. <coughs> Obedience is Life. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6 of 1 John 2. John says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The first point we learn from this lesson is that obedience to Jesus, once again, is proof of our authenticity as a Christ follower. That's how you authenticate your actual relationship with Jesus. You obey him. Because if you can obey him, God is helping you do that. There's no way you and I can obey Jesus Christ without Jesus Christ. And so obedience is that proof, that assurance that you and I know that we truly do belong to Jesus. And we need that assurance. I hope you know that today. I can't live without that assurance. I can't sleep peacefully in my bed without the assurance that I belong to God, that I'm on his side, that he has cleansed my sins, that I would be with him forever. Don't you need that assurance as well? I need it. And John is saying, then obey. Obey the Lord. That's how the assurance comes into your soul. So that is the proof. B, if we are obeying Jesus, he is, John calls us, our advocate and our propitiation, which means that Jesus does two things. He speaks to God on our behalf and vouches for us, and he also makes the payment for our sins. What a Savior, isn't it? Not only does he speak up, but he also says, Here's the payment they owe to you, God. I've paid it in full. Jesus does that. He has made the payment, which means he covers our sins forever. They'll never come back up. They'll never creep back in. God will never hold it over our heads and say, See, remember? I remember. God doesn't do that. He cleanses us from head to toe. And when you and I obey Jesus, we know that Jesus is our Savior. My Savior. Your Savior. And that's a really important thing to know. Next, John says that living and looking like Jesus is our goal upon this earth, to look like the one who saved us. Jesus knows the right way to the kingdom. He has the directions. He has the GPS, whatever term you want to use. Jesus is going the way to the kingdom of God. When he walked, he said, this is the path. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me and you'll get there. So only those who follow Jesus are the ones who enter the kingdom of God. So that means you and I got to line up right behind Jesus and do precisely as he's taught us to do and as he's done himself. And so that when you and I do, we have confidence, again, that we're going the right way. I can assume that I'm a Christian. I can assume that I'm following Jesus Christ. But how do I know? I match it up with what he taught. I match it up with how Jesus went. And then I find the confidence and if I'm erring in some way, if I'm misstepping in some way, I go to God and say, God, help me correct this. This doesn't look like Jesus. And he will. And it also means, this is why we talked about this part, is that we need to know the commandments of God in order to obey them properly. Again, obedience is one of those things you sort of give yourself the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah, I'm pretty good. I follow Christ. I'm pretty religious. But without knowing the actual commandments of God, how can we know that we are following Jesus Christ. And as we're going to look at here in a little bit, every single one of God's commandments stem from loving the Lord and loving your neighbor. All of them. So obedience without the proper knowledge is impossible. You cannot know unless you understand God's commandments and then you're practicing those things. So the question based on this is, do you and I know the commandments of the Lord? That's number one. You can't obey them unless you know them. But you can't just know them. That's the second part. We have to put them into practice. 
as evidence of our relationship with Jesus. So are you? Do you know them? Are you learning them? Are you understanding what Jesus said so you can put those into practice? Because it's for you to have confidence and assurance. Let's take a breath. We doing okay? Moving along? I told you this is going to be quick. That's what reviews are. Uh, let's go to number four, called a better commandment. This is a really important topic as we look at uh, the obedience and the commandments of Jesus Christ. Let's read verses 7 to 11. John says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John says, first and foremost, that love is an ancient commandment. You ever heard the phrase, as old as the hills? It literally is. In fact, it's older. Love is an ancient commandment. It was there at the beginning of creation. Everyone who lives upon the earth knows how important it is to love because God has sown it upon our hearts. We can't avoid it. But as we talked about through this lesson, John understands there's probably some confusion on the commandments of God. So B is God's commandments need to be clarified. They need to be understood properly as we talked about before. And it's not just about avoiding sin only. That is half the battle. We need to put off sin. But God has something greater for us. That is purposeful, intentional, on the offense love for the people of this world. That's what God has for us. That's his commandments. All of his commandments talk about loving the Lord and loving your neighbor as yourself. So if you and I say we're obeying and say we're living according to Jesus without love, again, it's impossible. Because every single commandment deals with how to love the Lord and how to love your neighbor. John says this, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining, which we said we don't have long before the dawn is here. Jesus comes back. It's all said and done at that point. And therefore, you and I must be in the light today because the darkness is going to be destroyed forever. And if we're in the darkness when Christ comes back, that's problematic. So you and I must be walking in love and in light when Christ comes back. That's the whole point of 1 John. The darkness and those who walk in sin will lose forever. Those who are walking in wickedness and in darkness and against God will lose eternally. And those who practice love, those who make it their chief aim to follow Christ's footsteps, will win forever. And lastly, if we see all of God's commandments properly, we can't but see the importance of walking in love and making it the theme of our lives. And I hope you believe that today. I hope when you leave these walls, that's your chief aim from sunup to sundown. I must love the Lord, and I must love his people. Because God loved us, and the whole theme of 1 John that we gave it is loved to love. So you and I can come to no other conclusion than that you and I must have love for God and for his people. So the question based on this is, have you and I been captivated by God's love? Have you yet been captivated by the love of God for us and convinced that we must walk in love as Christ's disciples? And if so, if you have been captivated and you are sure about that, how can we more purposefully love those around us? That's the whole point. 
How can I be more like Jesus? How can I love because of the great love that I've received? It's responsibility, guys. That's all it is. It's duty. We have a duty to love. That's nothing we can neglect. So that's what we talked about, that all the commandments are summed up in this one word, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's not a simple thing to know. It's profound, but it's simple. I like thinking in simple terms. Love, it's that simple, yet that profound. All right, number five. My, Pastor Mel, my dad, spoke on this lesson. It was called Choices, Living for God in a Me-First World. And we're going to read verses 12 to 17 of 1 John 2. This is what John says. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. This is a really important verse. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The first point my dad brought out from this passage is that making godly choices begins now if you're a Christ follower. Now, today. And it continues throughout the various stages of our life, meaning this is our goal from now to the eternity, is making choices that line up with God's will. Meaning our choices matter. Our choices today matter because they prove what we are and what we love. Today's choices prove what you love and what you are. Our choices matter. B, making godly choices means actively and intentionally loving God more than loving the world. Again, it's based on choices. Because there's two things you can love today. You can love the world, the pattern of this world, or you can love God and what he has set up. And you and I need to put God over our desires and ambitions. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Making godly choices means actively and intentionally loving God more than loving the world. Next, he said, making godly choices requires a lifetime commitment to do the will of God. Okay, this isn't, for the next week, God, you got me, and then I want to go back to my life. No, <laughs> forever, for the rest of your life, it is making godly choices. We call that commitment. Or God has even a stronger word. He calls it covenant. God covenants himself with us and says, I will love you from now until forever. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will give you everything you need. Your role in the covenant is to obey God and make godly choices. That is a commitment you and I must make if we belong to Jesus Christ. But lastly, as hopefully you're seeing a theme rise up here in 1 John as well, making godly choices is the path to abiding with God forever. It is the path. So every time you and I make a choice, we follow God or we follow the devil. And that's a really sobering thought to, to have. But when we make godly choices, God's assurance floods our soul. And he says to us, you are mine, child. You couldn't do this otherwise. You are doing this because you love my son. So the question for us based on this lesson is, do we love God practically? Or are we loving the world with our daily choices? 
Ask yourself that question. Please, ask yourself that question. Who are you actually loving with your choices today? Can you and I honestly be characterized as people striving to do the will of God? And I ask that of myself. Just because I'm a pastor, I don't get a pass on this, going, oh, he definitely is. I have to know that. I have to know that I'm making godly choices. Are you today? You can today, by the way, if you aren't at this very moment. Very quickly, I, I lied again, so half hour I was wrong. But we're getting close. Uh, last two lessons, number, number six, as we looked at the greatest fear imaginable from 1 John 2, 18 to 29, a little longer passage. This is what John says. He says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has the Son, and no one who denies the Father Excuse me, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, because, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught to you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. We call this lesson the greatest fear imaginable, and it was a good type of fear. And the first thing we noticed from 1 John, this passage here, is he says the main Antichrist is coming. He's coming. But many Antichrists are already amongst us. Those Antichrists are trying to deceive us and lure us away from the truth of God. And God is warning us of those people once again because those people are sent by the devil to destroy us. It's just the honest truth. They're sent to lure away and to entice away so that you and I do not follow Christ unto life. But John goes on to say through this, the, the only fear that you and I should have as Christians is the fear of God. One singular fear, and it's a really important fear, that finding out that you and I are on the wrong side of God should be the only fear that you and I should have because it drives every decision. And it also drives away every other petty fear. If you and I have the right type of fear, which is the fear of God, which again is not for fear's sake, well, look at this, it is for confidence's sake then you and I will stand confidently before God. And that fear should motivate us to stay faithful to Christ. And that fear definitely chases away all your petty fears and insecurities. Because not being with God on the last day should terrify us. It really, really should. John, uh, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because that trembling causes good, proper action. And it's a good fear. Next, it says true liberty isn't following the pattern of this world. Like we've been convinced by the world that 
The people with real liberty are the people that are going against God because they make their own path, they live their own way, they do whatever they want. The only problem is their path leads to destruction. That says it's not liberty then. The true liberty is following Jesus on the path that leads to life. And I hope I don't need to convince you of that. If you know anything about Jesus Christ, you know he is better than the world. He has more to offer you than the world. He has the true liberty. And he has the true life. So you and I must find the true liberty in Christ and not be deceived by the world's fake liberty. Because it's not liberty. It's not freedom. Christ is. He is true freedom. So the real fear is found in God and the real liberty is found in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, John says, we must abide in Jesus at all times. That's a really important phrase that comes up over and over in Scripture. Abide in him. You guys know what that word means? Abide, to remain, to stay, to be in, don't leave. So that you and I can have confidence when we stand before God in the last day. Because we're in his son. We're in the refuge. We have payment for our sins. And that knowledge of that today will drive our actions. Will give us assurance and contentment and true joy unlike the world has. And I hope you guys realize that. The world needs this kind of joy, and we have it. And abiding in Jesus also removes every single fear, even the fear of God. On the last day, we don't have fear. We have confidence. If we're abiding in Christ, making the fear of God the greatest fear imaginable, because it's not for fear's sake, it's for the sake of confidence on the last day. That is a really, really good fear. So the question we have based on this lesson is, are you and I abiding in Jesus today? Are we going against the pattern of this world so as to find true joy, to find true confidence and true liberty? And then a follow-up question is, how can you and I use the fear of God to stay near his perfect love? Because that's the entire point. Not to just be terrified of God and just walk on eggshells. That's not the point. The point is to stay near God. Because everything, everything scary is outside of God's presence. Stay near him. Abide in Jesus Christ. And then we come to our last lesson. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Our last lesson we looked at was called Being Children of God. And I want to read the first 10 verses of 1 John 3 that goes along with this. John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Our last points from this last lesson are, number one, you and I have so many advantages 
from being children of God. We looked at five really big ones. I'll just reflect on these again. We have God's protection and his provisions. Actually, that's the first one. We also have God's teaching. We have God's availability and understanding. We have God's discipline, the hard love even. And we have the fact that God bestows his gifts upon us and lavishes those things upon us. His love for us impacts every area of our life. Doesn't it? Doesn't being a child of God impact every area of your life in a good way? And yet John seems to say that for children of God, the best is yet to come. That what you and I have right now is only a sample of what awaits us. If you and I belong to Jesus Christ, the love that you and I experience right now from God is a sampling in comparison to what awaits us in eternity. Wow, right? I mean, if you guys need something to thank the Lord for, right there, today, during the testimonials, thank you, Lord, for what is coming. Because we await eternal hope and riches beyond what we've ever possibly conceived. Praise the Lord for that. Next is the knowledge and joy of what awaits us should cause us to prepare ourselves and purify ourselves for the coming day of Jesus. Because we talked about this, Jesus is worthy to have a pure, holy church and bride who loves him, who's readied themselves to say, Lord, I love you. Look at my life. I've set myself apart for your sake. I want to be with you alone, Lord Jesus. Because Jesus is worthy to have that type of bride, isn't he? Isn't he worthy to have people who genuinely love him and not have to be coerced into it every single day? Jesus demands and deserves a bride who genuinely loves him and gets ready for that day. And the way that you and I get ready is the last point here, practicing righteousness. You and I must look at the practices of our lives and see if they line up with who we believe our Father to be. If we say God is our Father, and I hope most of you do, we must practice righteousness. If we practice sin and we don't practice righteousness, we lose all confidence that we actually belong to God. We can't be sure. We can't know. But if you and I obey the Lord's commands, and this is all over 1 John, the second half of 1 John is going to bring this up again and again. If we obey the Lord's commandments, we know we're of God and that you and I are waiting for his amazing eternal blessings. Because obedience to God is the assurance that we belong to him and that the best is yet to come. And it's what Jesus is worthy of. Obedience is good. Obedience is a really good gift from God. So the last question I have for you based on this. Are you a true child of God today? And the last time we spoke on this, I, want, I gave you an invitation to come talk to me. If you're unsure, if all of this is making your head spin and you don't know and you're wondering, do I really belong to Christ? Do I really have this joy? Do I really have this confidence? Don't leave the doors unsure. Come talk to me. Because you can know today that you belong to Jesus Christ. You can start that journey. And I remember what that was like in my life, and I want you to have that as well. If you do not have it, is there anything holding you back from turning to Jesus today? Because I promise you the world will let you down in this life or the next. Jesus cannot let you down. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the King of Kings. He has the all authority on heaven and on earth. I'm going to skip over the application because we're close to, you know, close to the time here. I'm just going to say these last few things. This has been a review of the first half of 1 John. And remember how I started the sermon. Do not forget. 
Let us not be like me, forgetting where I parked the car. With this much truth. This is so good and helpful for our soul. We can't forget this. Hopefully you and I are learning that we have been loved to love. If you need to come talk to someone, please come to me or Pastor Mel or the deacons. If you need to understand what it's like to follow Jesus Christ, to trust in him, to believe in him, to know that you belong to God. And you can find that assurance today because Jesus came to save sinners like myself. And he can save you too. And as I usually end most of my lessons, Jesus is worthy to have us love him as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this review. I know we went quickly, um, but I do thank you for the truth that hopefully impacted our souls today. Once again, uh, guide us, direct us to where we need to go. Father, if we are on the right path and we have that confidence today, help us to soldier on, to find the strength and the legs to go forward and to say, we're not there yet. Father, if we are still in our sins and still in the darkness and unsure that we're children of God, Help us to understand that we can have that assurance today through Christ Jesus because that's the whole point of him coming to the earth. Speak to the souls here today. Make it apparent what is real, what is truth, what is true liberty, what is true fear, and drive us to the refuge of Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.